Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. Advent, and we're talking about joy. And I'm really excited about that because those of you that know me know the first thing that pops in your mind when you think of me is joy. Every time. <laughs> yeah. You laughed way too hard at that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Joy's not my normal topic when I get up here and speak. It's really usually a little bit more challenging. And, and so we're going to try to be outside of our comfort zone a little bit this morning as we dive into what it means to have joy. And I really want to start with what it doesn't mean to have joy, uh, because I think for a lot of us, sometimes joy and happiness can become synonyms, and that's not true. Um, happiness a lot of times depends on external circumstances. It usually, at least in my case, depends on me getting my way. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a selfishness that comes along with being happy. Not always, but sometimes. But a lot of times, happiness comes from a place of like something outside of my realm of control happening that makes me happy. For instance, last night, I'm a big Kentucky basketball fan. We beat North Carolina, thus happy day. Right, I had nothing to do with that win. I was somewhat. I played a little defense in the living room, but really, really nothing to do with me. And so, but my happiness, to a degree, at least last night, according to my family, depends on the final score of those basketball games. Sometimes, some of you can relate. Uh, to, to sports and things like that being that important to you, where your happiness depends on it. But that's the, that's the case here. That's the, that's the point. Happiness is an emotion that is here and sometimes it is gone and again, depends on external circumstances a lot of times. Joy, on the other hand, is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes only from our relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit. The definition for biblical joy is this. It's choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his will in and through us. Biblical joy comes directly from relationship to God. We can't have it without the Holy Spirit in us and living through us and working through us. And unfortunately, a lot of times, joy is hard to understand and it's even harder to recognize. As a church, global church, we tend to focus on joy one week out of the year around Christmas time because culture and society tells us it's Christmas, we should be joyful. It's Christmas time, you gotta put on these things and a lot of times, I don't know about you, if you see me joyful about a Christmas thing, I'm faking it. That's 100%, like I'm not a big Christmas decorations guy, no shocker to y'all and there's nothing, I, I, there's no music I dislike more than Christmas music. So that may be an unpopular opinion in the room. But I have to acknowledge that joy is hard for me to look at at this time of year. And I think if we're really honest about it, it's pretty hard for a lot of people. I did some research this week in the American Psychological Association. You'll see those statistics up there. But it says that 38% of people experience increase in stress levels during the holidays. I have to admit, I thought that was too low. Uh, y'all, may, y'all may 
some of y'all are experiencing stress right now, just thinking about Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. The other one that I thought was interesting is that 64% of people who don't normally struggle with depression, we're not talking about clinical, we're not talking about diagnosed depression, we're talking about people who have seasonal depression. 64% of people experience seasonal depression during the holidays. That's crazy. And the most concerning, this one comes from UCLA, their study on, on the holidays is that substance abuse doubles in the weeks from Thanksgiving to Christmas. All those indicators, and it may not meet you specifically, or maybe some, something may hit you specifically, but all those indicators tell me that we're having a problem with joy during the holidays at least, and if we're having trouble with it now, we probably have trouble with joy the rest of the year as well. See, it's, it's a difficult thing because we start looking at the causes of it. A lot of times it's physical and mental fatigue. We get worn out at Christmas time. There's all these demands on your schedule. How many of you have some obligations this week for a Christmas party of some sort? I do. No, that, wow, okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> we told our small group leaders in, in youth that we weren't gonna do a Christmas party. We'd do it after, uh, after Christmas in January and we were thanked by some of them for not adding another thing to their schedule. Right, So we get busy around Christmas time. We have these perceived obligations there that are there. We have financial stress because we overspend on Christmas gifts. Uh, you know, that a lot of times, at least in my house, they forget about a week later or break it within a couple of days. And we spend way too much money. And then we have these high expectations about our family gatherings, right? All of us expect the family gathering on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day to look like a Hallmark movie, Right? which it's impossible because every Hallmark movie, it snows a lot. It's not gonna snow here, right? It's like all those, like they're, they're these quaint little small towns, they're all filmed at the square in July, so you know they're faking it really hardcore because they got these jackets on and, and, and you see these, these things that society says, this is what Christmas should be, right? It's crazy. My wife, off-brand trait of hers is that she loves Hallmark movies. She watches all of them. And I try to convince her all the time. This is a tangent, by the way that I could write a Hallmark movie script. Man grows up, goes to New York, gets greedy, comes back home, gets snowed in, falls in love with high school sweetheart. And then flip it. Woman gives those up, goes to New York, gets real greedy, comes back home, gets snowed in, falls in love with high school sweetheart. Two movies, just like that. It's like, I can do this. This is ridiculous, but we, but we all create these these unrealistic expectations about what our family gatherings will look like. And when it doesn't meet those expectations, we have stress and we feel depressed. We have travel stress. Uh, travel stress. We feel lonely because of other circumstances that are going on in our lives or have gone on in the past. And we get to this place of loneliness. And so when we get to actual Christmas day, we actually survive the season to get there and then we take a deep breath and we can finally exhale and, re and be relieved because we made it. I've talked to so many parents over the last couple of weeks and said, I'm just trying to get to Christmas. Hey, that's the attitude that we have of survival ready to, rather than joyfulness. And it's crazy that we get caught up in this because what we realize is that our stress, our depression, and all the things that we deal with at Christmas directly reflect who and what we magnify. Who and what are important to us 
reflects where we are and what we're, what we're doing. I ask our students, I did some research of my own. I ask our students on a Wednesday night at Bible study, I give them a note card and said, when you think of Christmas Day, what do you think of? There's a list. I put all of them up there, that's why you see family so many times, right? Somebody over here, whoever wrote this one, their parents get parent of the year. Uh, God's immeasurable mercy and grace. It's like, you win, good job. But you start looking up here and you start seeing things that are crazy. None of y'all are responding to the donkey. There's a joke there, but I'm gonna leave it alone. Um, But there's, family is the most, it's, it's throughout this thing. You look at how many times family or being with family or family time, and I deleted some of them to make them fit on the screen. But the most obvious answer to the question was when they think of Christmas Day, they think about family. And I gotta be honest with you, your family's great, I'm sure. And your family gatherings probably do resemble a Hallmark movie. But Christmas isn't about your family. It's not. But it did make me take a hard look at myself and I got my own note card out and I wrote down what, I, what Christmas Day is to me and I wrote family, food, and then a sprinkle of Jesus. I started thinking about my family gathering and really a lot of the times that my family gathered, the only time Jesus is mentioned is when we bless the food. We kind of carve out that moment and say, Jesus, be in this moment, right? I think about traditions that we have that we think are important in my house. In my house on Christmas Eve, my wife is Italian and her family is from New Jersey and so we have, we celebrate this Feast of the Seven Fishes. I'm from Kentucky. The only fish we used to eat is at the bottom of a river and deep fried. But we gotta do things differently. (laughs) But we had this feast and it is so hard to pull off. We got four services here at the church. We gotta cook all this fish. We gotta hope nobody has an allergy. And we gotta move through this thing. And it's not fun at all. But we have to do it. And it's this obligation and we get stressed out and we're counting. Does this count? Does does shrimp count as a fish? I don't know. It's like looking through all of the things and you're like, what is a fish? Like, it's like, we're not, we're missing it. Like, I don't even know what this feast stands for. I'm sure it's something to do with Jesus, but I have no idea. And a lot of times when I look at my own personal Christmas time, I'm sure it has something to do with Jesus, but I'm not really sure what it is. So we get to this place where we magnify all the other things and we don't magnify the purpose. We don't magnify Jesus in these moments. And so we wonder why we're stressed, we're depressed, and we're abusing substances because we're seeking joy in the gathering instead of seeking joy in, the, in relationship with the Spirit. I'm gonna read this from, from Luke 1. I'm gonna use an iPad this morning. One of our students, actually Caroline, told me that uh, now I actually look like a youth pastor because I'm using an iPad. So I have, uh, I've made it. But Luke 1, this is Mary's song. It's called the Magnificat. It's one of my favorite things that I've recently discovered because if I'm honest, when it said Mary's song when reading the Gospels before, I kind of just moved on past it and got to the good stuff in my mind, right? But this, this passage is really 
rich with, with, with who God is. It's so important that the Magnificat, as it's called by the historical church, is part of this liturgy of hours or divine offices, prayers. So it's pray daily, this prayer that we're about to read. Because it's showing how, who and what we magnify. So I'll read it to us. That's what it says. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit or my soul rejoices in God, my savior. Joy is directly connected to who we magnify. Your Bible might say glorify or exalt. Either way. Our joy is directly related to who we are magnifying and who is important in our lives. And so if we want joy, we have to magnify Jesus. And she goes on and she gives this kind of this, this tale of how great God is and how opposite he is of the world, right? Like we expect this king or the Jews expected this king to come from this place and look like this and have this money and be, and be super powerful. And this king that we're worshiping comes from a girl in the middle of nowhere who was humble and hungry. I think what stands out to me when looking at Mary is that she realizes that she's in desperate need of a savior. She's humble because she's saying, I'm not God, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And she's hungry for him, not for food. Maybe food too, but she's really hungry for him. And so she's able to look at this and see how God is turning culture upside down. I'm gonna bring forth this king, this savior. I'm gonna bring him from, from a rural area. He's not gonna be, like Isaiah 53 says, there's nothing about him that attracts us to him. He looks different than the expectation the world had. He's different. And so the world is gonna miss him, but she's not. She magnifies him, and that word means to praise a person in terms of that person's greatness. She magnifies God in terms of his greatness. And a lot of times for us, we can get to this place where we magnify all the other things and we forget about how great he is. She says he is the mighty one that saves. We forget how mighty and powerful God is. And if we're honest about it, all of us, I'm, I'm speaking to me, so if this hits you, this is me being pretty open to you. If I'm honest about this, God steps into my life when things aren't going the way that I want them. Actually, let me rephrase that. I include God in my life when things aren't going the way I expect them to go. 
And when I want my circumstances changed because I'm unhappy, I ask God to intervene. And then I want to get upset with him when he doesn't. This makes sense, doesn't it? You don't include me in anything else, but you want me now? It makes sense to me. The reason I struggle with joy is because I'm not magnifying Jesus in my life. The reason I struggle with, being, with finding joy when I'm frustrated or ha- angry or upset or any of those things is because I'm not magnifying Jesus to the point where he is primary and I am secondary. And if I'm real honest, I don't always know and realize that I'm in need of a savior. I'm not gonna go without food tonight. I'm not gonna go home and, and not have a place to sleep. I'm not gonna, none of those things are gonna happen to me. I hope. But I don't always recognize that I need a savior, especially at Christmas time. It's one of those things where we can get frustrated and we have to ask the question, why do we lack joy? Why is it? I think first is because we tend to magnify ourselves. We tend to magnify us and our importance, and for me anyway, my selfishness. I magnify the things that I want, even things I can, I can kind of wrap them up in beautiful little spiritual things. Like I get upset sometimes when our students don't engage God the way I want them to. Instead of realizing God, they're engaging God the way he made them to. So sometimes even, even my best ideas are an extension of my own selfishness. Because there's this, there's this magnifying of self and self-desires and self-reliance and I can do this, just watch how hard I, we can work or how hard we can do this or all of those things that we can put into our lives that says, I got this, God, you come in whenever things aren't going the way I have already planned them to go, then you fix it. And when by fix it, make it the way I want it. We magnify ourselves, our goals, and our desires. We also magnify our sins. We look at our sins sometimes and they become so big that they draw us back in. I think about, a lot of y'all know my story. I am a sinner from way back. I have lived the life of sin and Jesus luckily saved me. But when I think about those times, when I think about the sin in my life, it starts becoming so big that I think, man, if God only knew, and it's like, hey, moron, he does know. He's always known. But I magnify my sin in my life and it separates me from God even though he's already taken care of that. It's crazy to magnify sin when it's covered in the blood of Jesus. It's wiped away, it's gone. Javon and I were talking this week and he said profoundly, we don't have a sin problem, we have a proximity to Jesus problem. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> we do, though. You start thinking about it. Why are we so caught up about our sin when Jesus paid the price for that? The reason we wallow in sin and we keep going back to sin is we don't trust that it's been taken care of at the cross. And so we were robbed of our joy of the freedom to live in Christ because we keep thinking about things that we did before that draw us back into them. 
Instead of realizing God took care of that. It's like Mary said, he is the mighty one who does good deeds for us. Well, he did the best deed for us. He made a way for us to be in relationship. But we get caught up in this place where we look at our sin and we keep getting drawn back into it. And then we start magnifying our guilt and shame. Because it makes, at least me, the more guilty I feel about my sin, then in my mind, the more repentant I've become. And it's not true. What it means to me is when I start magnifying guilt and shame, I, start, I stop magnifying God's mercy. He's forgiven me. He's taking care of that. If he's forgiven me, why can't I forgive myself and move on? Why can't I move on past that? And so guilt, shame, all of those things rob me of my joy because I'm magnifying the wrong thing. I'm only focused on what me mostly and what I've done wrong and then how would I fix it by feeling bad about myself for a little while until I don't feel bad anymore. I told you this is gonna be joyful. See, there is a way to solve it. We have to practically live a life that's led by the Spirit. We have to submit to the Spirit. The great deeds of God weren't just completed at the cross. He ascended into heaven, then he sent his Spirit and said, I know you can't figure this out on your own, so I'm just gonna give you more of myself so that you can. And if we want to live in joy, we have to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you, do, you want to do. To walk in the spirit is to change our proximity to Jesus. It's to turn and fix our eyes on Jesus and follow him instead of following him, looking backwards at the sin that we've committed. It's, it's to look at him and fix our eyes on him and walk in the spirit with him. And then the sinful things that we're experiencing, they start going away. And we don't have to create any self-help or New Year's resolutions to, to fix it. We just have to fix our eyes on Jesus and be led by the Spirit. And then we start living lives the way he desired us to live them. And that is holy. See, Jesus, I learned this recently. Jesus didn't come to save us. He came to make us holy. And salvation is a byproduct of that. Salvation is a gift thrown in to make it so we can, we can live a life with the character of God in holiness. But we can't do that if we're looking this way and we're focusing on the sin in our lives. Don't misunderstand me, though. Um, this is not a cheap grace message. This isn't do what you want and forget about all this stuff over here. It's a focus on Jesus and all of that stuff takes care of itself because Jesus is leading me. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. And as a result, I receive a gift of the Spirit and fruit of the Spirit. Joy becomes a, 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 an adjective that describes me because of who I'm magnifying. We can't magnify our sin. We have to magnify Jesus' grace. And we can't magnify our shame. We have to magnify the mercy that he gives us. Guilt and shame are dealt with at the cross. Sin first, guilt, shame, relationship. If we magnify Jesus... 
and we repent, our guilt and shame is taken away. We don't have to worry about it anymore. And some of the things I think that rob us of our joy, especially at Christmas time, is that we're reminded of all the ways that we've missed it in the, in the year. We're reminded of the mistakes that we've made or the sin that we, has become habitual. We're reminded of all the things in our lives that is constantly separating us from him. And then we self-separate. We're like, I, I blew it, so why go? I blew it, so why am I in relationship? Or we get to a place of, I'm not worthy to be in relationship with you. And so we start beating ourselves up even more. And it's just, we have to realize God's bigger than all of that. We have to realize what this baby that we celebrate at Christmas time is. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think sometimes we get so focused on this picture of a baby in a manger that we forget that he is almighty God. And the stories are cute, and the songs are cute-ish, But he is God. He's God. He's 100% God, 100% man. And he's in this place where he said, I love you so much that I'm gonna take on your guilt and shame. I'm gonna take on your sin. I'm gonna go to the cross and I'm gonna make a way for you to eternally be with the Father. That is joy. That is joyful. And when we're led by the Spirit, we get to remember that daily, over and over and over again. And when we start including him in our life, in more than just the hard times or the difficult times or in places that we want something, we start experiencing immeasurable joy. But we have to be able to recognize him. I was talking about this a couple years ago with some of our students and I was sharing what it is to live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit and how to include God in all these decisions. And she asked me this question. She said, so you're telling me I need to ask God what to have for breakfast? It's not what I said. But yeah, why not? Because if I include him in what do I have for breakfast today, our students are gonna include him in where am I going to college? Who am I going to marry? They're gonna include him in these big decisions because they learn how to hear him in the small ones. We will include him in big decisions when we know his voice in the small ones and we'll be comfortable and know when God is speaking to us. We'll be led by his voice and his spirit and we'll know it, recognize it, and we'll move in confidence to where he wants us to be. That's joyful. There's joy in all of these. This morning, we're gonna close with communion. And communion is something, just to be completely honest with you, I don't understand all the mystery about communion. I grew up in tradition where it's just symbolic. Well, I've, I've moved on from that. There's something more in this. I don't know the mystery. I'm not, I'm not even gonna try to explain it. But there's more. 
It's more than just taking bread and dipping it in juice and walking back to your seat. There's something about this that brings us into the presence of the Lord. It's not magic, but there's something about it. And I would encourage you this morning as you come forward for communion, if you're one of those who are, you realize I'm magnifying all these other things above Jesus, let communion be your first act of magnifying him in your life. Let communion be something of reverent importance this morning where it's saying, God, this is me making a statement that I will magnify you this Christmas. And if we can do it at Christmas, then we can also do it in July. And then we can have a lifestyle of magnifying Jesus. Bo, you and Caroline can come up. If you're serving communion, would you come up as well? Um, also prayer teams, if you'll come forward, because I do wanna pray this morning for two specific groups. If you need a reminder this morning of how great God is, I want you to come forward and receive prayer. And maybe you need it for prayer with someone else or maybe it's just kneel down here and you can pray, but you need a reminder of how great he is and what he's done for you, come forward, let people pray for you or kneel and pray. Now, the group that's really on my heart this morning, not that all of you are on my heart, but the group that really kind of, I feel like the Lord is saying to highlight, if guilt and shame are separating you from relationship, please come forward and let us pray with you. Let these prayer teams just pray over you and break that off because that's been dealt with. You don't have a sin problem. You don't have a guilt and shame problem. Those things were taken care of at the cross. That baby grew to be a man and died on the cross and three days later rose for you for the remission of your sins. And so come forward, let these guys pray for you. We have... Communion here, Kim will release you a row at a time. We have gluten-free communion if you need that. Um, again, there's not a ton of space up here, but if you, can, if you just wanna kneel and pray for a minute, just find some space along the stage and, and do that. Let's pray. Jesus, I confess that I magnify things over you. I confess, Lord, that things become more important and you become secondary in a lot of places in my life. And I pray that this, forward, this moment forward, Holy Spirit, will you enable us to make you first? Will you enable us to magnify you for your greatness? Holy Spirit, will you cultivate in us joy? Just the fruit of your spirit in us, God. I pray for anyone this morning who is struggling with guilt and shame. I pray that you would break that off in Jesus' name. They would have no place in their heart or in their lives, God. Help us to fix our eyes on you and follow you and submit to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 